is Olivia Berkman, and welcome to Balance Sheet. Today's guest is Michael Seaver. Michael's an executive coach and leadership consultant, and he's a frequent speaker at FEI's events. He uses positive psychology concepts to move leaders from success to significance, and his mission is to unlock human potential. As you'll hear in this episode, Michael is really passionate about how we can make the workplace more human and why company culture is more important now than ever. I always enjoy my conversations with Michael. And among lots of other things, in this conversation, we talked a lot about dealing with fear and anxiety within ourselves and within our teams. And I hope this episode serves as a reminder for all of us to refocus on our mental health. I really hope you enjoy the conversation. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. It is my pleasure, Olivia. Thank you. So you and I spoke about filling the role of staff psychologists. And obviously, many of us are struggling right now with feelings of hopelessness and anxiety. Um, But before the virus, what were the topics that employees were bringing to you most? I feel like the the feelings of hopelessness and anxiety, I feel them too. And so even in my role, uh, being able to, to lead people and guide people, those feelings, uh, I can still feel them, I think, the same way that many other folks do too. Uh, and so thankfully, I've got a really, really strong uh, personal board of directors around me that help. So kind of pre- uh, virus, there were a few things that came to me quite often. And I would say the first one was, how do I position my executive or personal brand? Right? What, what, how do I go through the process of getting a promotion? How do I build credibility in the mind of my peers or uh, leaders above me? And how can I be seen as a thought leader myself? I think developing a personal or executive brand was one topic that seemed to come uh, quite frequently. A second was how do we manage disengaged employees and how do we get them to the point of being reasonably productive or more productive or more happy inside the workplace? So Michael, what can you do to help with realigning behavior? How do we make sure that we have the right goals in place for each of these individuals? How do we help them learn something about our culture or about their job or about doing something for our firm's strategic plan? Or if they're unwilling to do those things, how do we help them exit the organization? And I'd say the probably the third is uh, this. This was more so helping uh, a couple of organizations kind of build out their director level. And I'm new to leadership at scale. How do I make sure that I communicate in this new role? What are the appropriate one to one or one to many meeting frameworks? And and how do I go through and build trust to that? So it it has been this really really interesting time to see what life was like kind of pre virus focusing on executive or personal brand, or how do we manage those disengaged employees, or I'm new to leadership, how do I push this out meaningfully? I really enjoyed kind of looking at it through that lens to say, what was life like before? Thinking about what people are reaching out to you about now, I would guess that disengaged employees is still um, a major issue, if not a bigger issue now with people working remotely, or maybe I'm wrong about that. It's it's a mix. It's an odd mix. I can't remember the the piece of data or where I got it from, but there was a source that found that uh, right now at home people are thirteen percent more productive. 
And I ha- I can't remember the um, the the found the piece of data where that came from, but it was really really interesting to me to say, gosh, you know, even though at scale we have not worked at home for a very long time, uh, what we've done is we removed a lot of distractions, right? So, uh, University of California Irvine has done some research to find that there are 85 interruptions in a traditional workday in a traditional office, and oftentimes because of other things that are happening, it takes about 23 minutes to get back to full productivity. So on average in the office, we're working about two hours and 53 minutes in a eight, nine, 10 hour workday. So then take away the interruptions and those meetings and things that might happen in the office. And now you go home and now we have other distractions, family, things along those lines, but people are actually more productive. So it's really interesting to kind of see that. So when I have conversations with people now, we talk a little bit about disengagement, but the transition uh, has really occurred where we're worried a little bit less about branding and how do we manage the disengaged employees and I'm new to leadership, how do I grow? And it's kind of come back to like the basics of being human. And what I mean by that is that I'm getting a lot of questions and comments about fear hmm. and I'm really feeling anxious about the unknown. I don't know how to remain calm. Uh, I'm getting into these bad habits. How do I avoid them in the future? Um, Similar to habits, you know, you and I, before we kind of clicked record, we're saying, how do we work from home? How do we interact with our family? How do we maintain some sense of community involvement virtually? And setting those habits is really challenging and hard because we've not done it before. Or, how do we connect with employees in a way that we can't normally physically? How do we check in with them on a day-to-day basis or week-to-week basis? And what's the system if we're sensing that they're becoming more emotional and more irrational? And how do we coach them through the dis-ease, if you will? And I'm working with one executive and really unexpectedly, uh, the alarm system at uh, their office went off and one of their employees who was really disliking working from home uh, went to the office, even though she knew that the office was going to be closed and the building was under surveillance, um, really irrationally started banging on the door and crying because she wanted to go into the office. Wow. And so we're in this place where what we used to do on a day-to-day basis to help people become the best versions of themselves after the virus has kind of taken hold of society, we're coming back to the basics of how do we deal with fear? How do we form new habits and how do we connect with people? Yeah. I mean, it so often comes back to, especially um, I bet in your conversations with um, leaders and, and whether you're new to leadership or, or you've been in a leadership role for many years, it comes back to empathy especially at a time like this, when people are very afraid, feeling a lot of anxiety, there doesn't really feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel at times. Um, Having that empathy is important. But on that note, how much can you teach somebody to have empathy? That is a, a tremendous question. And I think when we think about emotional intelligence and empathy, it is taught over time, right? Whether our parents teach us it in our childhood or teenage years, 
uh, whether it's something that we learn from our friends through our teenage years or our 20s, whether it happens in the workplace as we uh, get a little bit older, it can be taught over time. And I try to teach that through a couple of different lenses, through the lens of uh, very, very specific trainings on the five sections of emotional intelligence, um, or through kind of the lens of being a coach. And what I mean by, by the coach is, is that coaches believe that every person has the answer inside him or her. And it's the coach's job to ask the right how, what, or why questions to pull the answers out. And so teaching empathy, whether it has been done historically through one of those previous means or whether it's helping us to become coaches to each other, either way can teach it. It just takes time. I want to get back to your role as staff psychologist. I think it's super fascinating and I'm sure it varies, but how many sessions do you typically have with someone? Sure. So most of my engagements are uh, six months and we meet every other week. So there's 12, 13, 14 conversations that occur and they can occur in person or virtually. And I try to speak with each person for about one and a half hours. And I have a very kind of specific curriculum that I walk them through in that time. And the point is, is that I'm trying to get them from a place of being uh, not clear to clear or being disengaged to engaged or maybe a little bit unhappy to the place of happiness. And I have specific mile markers and things that I want them to accomplish at each step of that journey, things that I want them to learn. And and it, it's not an easy thing because every person on this planet is unique or different in that they have a different curriculum of things that they need to learn while they're here. And so my work is to try to find the commonalities and the similarities and the patterns that exist amongst all of them and find a way to pull out the answers so that I can help that person in his or her journey as clearly or as cleanly as possible. So I had a therapist once. Well, I actually asked a therapist once if you could communicate one thing to the majority of your patients, what would it be? And her line was, I would tell them, don't should, S-H-O-U-L-D, all over yourself. So in other words, I love it. I love isn't it. that great? <laughs> and, it's, and it's something that I come back to a lot um, when I kind of am struggling with, okay, is this something that I want or is this something I think I should want or should do because um, for so many different reasons. What advice do you find yourself coming back to, not for yourself, but for those that you are coaching? Yeah, and I, I, I think I do a little bit for myself uh, subconsciously, but I, I certainly do when I'm uh, about ready to have a, a tough conversation with a client who is struggling or is, is trying to find some clarity for him or herself. And I know that they're going to be emotional in response to me. So a few things came uh, to mind when I really started to think through this for myself. And, and number one is meet people where they are. And so for me as a coach, um, I have to remember repeatedly that, that my words don't teach that person. Only his or her personal experience does. And so my work as a coach is to meet him or her where he or she is, uh, ask the right questions or try to say the right words that spark some sort of an epiphany in him or her to go have an experience that will then teach the lesson. Right. And when, when I got to that place for myself of understanding that my role was more as a guide through the questions that made me feel uh, really, really good inside. And then I was able to start to see a shift in how people responded to me. And I think part of the, the thing around empathy is, is that number two, 
the piece of advice that has been really, really helpful is, is that when we listen really actively to an individual, we pick up things that they're saying verbally, the tone of their voice and their nonverbal body cues. Because when we see the continuity across those three things, we can validate his or her feelings or experience or the learnings that they've had really powerfully. And that helps them feel supported in a way that they might not normally. And maybe a third piece that I keep coming back to from myself is that uh, humans really are more similar than they are dissimilar. And um, Jennifer Deal uh, from the Center for Creative Leadership wrote a book a number of years back called Retiring the Generation Gap. And it's about the 10 principles of which all humans are the same. So don't get me wrong. There are lots of things about humanity that are different, that are unique. But underlying all of those differences and those unique points, there are 10 ways in which we're all the same. Basic things like we want to be trusted or we want to be respected or humans don't like change or we love to learn or we, we do want a coach in our lives. And so there are specific things that even when I'm going through a really challenging emotional experience for myself or I'm trying to facilitate somebody else through one, I come back to the basics of how do I make this person feel one of those 10 things that we all are the same in. And that has given me a, a lot of peace and also I think brought a lot of peace to those folks, folks that I serve. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know if you find in conversations with executives and then in your conversations with lower level employees, do you find that their challenges are very different? Are they, do they kind of boil down to the same things? What, what's your take on that? They, I think the underlying uh, emotions or causes of any differences are roughly the same, right? Humans are more similar than they are dissimilar. So I think the underlying causes are roughly the same from person to person. The way that they uh, manifest is more dependent on his or her role inside of an organization or uh, in society. So when I think about folks that I've been serving in the last couple of years, the more executive level of executive level people feel somewhat scared to do a few things. And it's like, you could fill in the blank to say, I'm scared to lead inspirationally. And so they, they want to lead, they've chosen this role in their life, but because of generational differences, because of the way that technology has played itself out because of globalization, the younger generations in the workforce today, they want inspirational leadership. They don't want command and control leadership. And so that transition to figuring out for an executive today to say, how do I lead inspirationally and how do I display authentic parts of myself that I've never had to before? That's, that's kind of scary. So, so that's a big one that I see. Um, second is this idea of I'm scared to communicate openly and because of like Brene Brown's work around vulnerability and shame, it's becoming a little bit more commonplace and accepted. But for a person who hasn't had to share much about his or her journey, now there's a sense of fear around how much do I share and how much is too much because I don't want to get myself and or my organization in trouble. Right. And so towing that line between what is appropriate and what is not is, uh, is a big one. And then a thing that I think is also important is that some of the executives that I'm uh, working with, they feel scared to share their emotions. And, you know, going back to the 70s, 80s and and 90s, you know, those 
um, traditionalists and those baby boomers who were leading at that time in history before technology, uh, sharing emotions wasn't uh, really a part of society. Uh, it was more how do we plow through these things to be able to accomplish a specific result or goal. And now younger generations are asking for that emotional connection. So an executive today might feel scared to share his or her emotions and uh, feels very lonely at the top. So who can I safely talk to about these topics that I've never had to address with somebody before? So I'm seeing these this look at how do I lead differently than a way that I used to. Whereas a person who's more of an individual contributor, they're coming back to the basics. There's still a fear or an anxiety or nervousness that kind of underlies their questions. But for the frontline employer, the individual contributors, is my income going to be enough to pay for my kids to do A, B, and C? And I'm struggling. I'm feeling disengaged. I'm lost. What is my purpose? Or I'm struggling to figure out where to distribute my time because there are so many demands on my time. Where do I move it? So the underlying feeling or emotion is basically the same. How it's applied is more contextual depending on that person's role in the organization. We mentioned empathy before, but you've you've mentioned authenticity, vulnerability. I assume those are elements of of this um, idea of creating a more human workplace. And I want to know, like, how specifically you support leaders in creating that kind of more human workplace. I'll, I'll give you a few examples, and I spent a, a pretty large percentage of my day yesterday, uh, essentially creating like an if-then statement uh, worksheet. And so, uh, with an organization that I supported recently, we took thirty of their staff members and certified them as coaches internal to their company, so that they could coach more and more and more people. So next week on Tuesday, I'm going to train these thirty individuals on how to use this one-page form to essentially create far more humanity inside this environment than uh, what had existed before. So I keep coming back to. MIT Sloan, uh, their management review, put out an article, uh, I think it was late 2019, that a Wharton professor, Sagal Barsaid, had done some research and found that emotions inside the workplace are actually contagious. And she was able to prove through a number of studies that when we bring a specific emotion into the workplace, other people around us pick up that emotion. So there's a, a the same way that there's a viral contagion, right, uh, or a cold or a flu, uh, a physical sickness. We now have proof that there's an emotional contagion or, or sickness, if you will, or that emotions can be passed from person to person to person. And so I've really started to try to help people look at a human workplace through the lens of emotions are data, and. If we go through a couple of processes to start to think about how do we honor these emotions, we can shift the emotion from a place of negativity to a place of positivity to get people more happy, more engaged, more productive, you know, more revenue, more results, fill in the blank. So that can happen in any number of ways, because like if we do not address these things, right, we're going to have lack of communication or poor communication. We're going to have time mismanagement and lack of productivity. We're going to have overly bureaucratic process. We're, we're going to have lower revenue. There's any number of things that might pop up that we want to not have happen. How do we mitigate that? So a few things that I've done with clients are anything from if we're going through a strategic planning process, how do we involve all employees 
in that process, whether it's a one-to-one meeting, whether it's focus groups, whether it's online idea forums, is trying to get every employee somehow involved or engaged in the strategic plan so that as it's rolled out, they feel more connected to it. They feel more committed to it. I've worked with another organization where we adjusted their, their bonus and compensation model and they were very heavily focused before on delivering comp straight to the individual for his or her individual performance. And we adjusted the compensation model to be focused on the individual's goals, but then we also baked in a, a portion that was uh, directly related to the team's goals, like their department goals, and then what percent of the day they were living their organization's core values. Hmm. So now they're, they're receiving compensation based on how well they live the org's core values, essentially treats one another, right? How human do we treat one another? Um, I mentioned a few minutes ago, the client that I was working with that we developed the coaching program internally. And, and so the idea of, of Michael Seaver serving as a staff psychologist, it's kind of taking um, the low hanging fruit of my processes that are really easy for, I think, for people to pick up in essentially training those 30 individuals to do some of the basic things around coaching, around helping one another. And I think we're, moving to a place where mental health solutions that used to be outsourced, um, some of that stuff is kind of coming back into an organization. It's still really important to have medical professionals close by or to have the employee assistance plan close by. It's really critical to have those, but sometimes having the really basic components of that available inside the business, I think is really critical too. So we, we make the workplace more human by taking what used to be outsourced and bring entry level or basic functionality of that back in. Um, another thing that I thought about or that I've helped an organization with is the idea of uh, mass customizing learning. And now there's lots of different ways that humans learn, but if we can find a way to create an a la carte menu of ways to learn a specific skill, now we're going to appeal to more people faster. And so if we have a, a five-year plan in place and we know ahead of time what skills we need the, the workforce to have, we can create different a la carte menus of ways to be able to give them the skills in preparation for the next phase to roll out. So that helps people to not only learn because we all love to learn in a deep way, but it also helps them feel a part of something that's bigger than them, that they're creating the skills to help design something for their company. And and probably the last one that I think is the most meaningful, uh, especially in times of really, really big anxiety and stress, is just ongoing appreciation. And of everything that we do, Olivia, on a day-to-day basis, I think showing appreciation for a person in the way that he or she can receive it or prefers to receive it daily or weekly, it goes a long ways because in so much uncertainty, it's nice to know that there's still a sense of connection or belonging to something or that the work that you're doing is being valued. And so even though we don't know what's coming societally, there are small things that we can do to make people feel involved in the process and more committed to make sure that the workplace is more human or they feel more connected to it in a way that makes the whole organization grow together. I love that. I want to ask you about you know, maintaining a healthy culture. Outside of a pandemic, (laughs) when do you think companies are most at risk for losing sight of that more that human workplace? Is it when, you know, is it at times of 
big transitions or transactions? When do you think they're most vulnerable to kind of losing their way? The honest answer is today, uh, every day, like 100% of every day. <laughs> the, I mean, because according to Gallup, right, employee engagement in America is only 35%. So only 35% of the American workforce actually likes their work. Hmm. So 65% does not. And if you remember Peter Drucker uh, from years back before he passed away, he said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Right. And, and it's always a really powerful quote to kind of remember. Now, if we're not focusing on it every single day, there is going to be something lost. Now, are there those moments where possibly a pandemic or some other function or piece of the business is not going well and things are bad, are we likely to cut the focus on that from a cost perspective? Are we going to cost contain and not spend money on that? Absolutely. Right. I've seen a number of organizations do that. uh, And they tend to want to contain the costs that are on the expense side of the balance sheet, not really thinking or believing that the employee is on the asset side, right, of the balance sheet, because that's where he or she actually is. So when things do get bad, we do have a tendency as a society to cut some of the costs associated with employee engagement or creating that healthy culture. Um, But I think we're kind of transitioning right now in society where because we're learning so many new ways of being, having to, you know, Uh, essentially co-parent a child and teach him or her at home at the same time as doing work day to day to day, all of these new ways of being are just happening for us right now. And that is kind of forcing us to prioritize time in a different way, where I think what will happen over the next couple of months is that relationships and connectivity and the healthy culture is going to become more of a focus because if it doesn't exist, people will leave those organizations even more fast than they might have historically. So it can come at a time when things are just not going well, but I hope that we move to a place where people realize that this is an everyday conversation that we need to stay ahead of. Shifting gears a little bit, um, I want to know how automation is affecting our emotional well-being. Yeah, you know, this is a uh, kind of a fun topic because it really does depend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in some ways we're, we're experiencing right now in real time, how incredible a blessing technology is in the fact that, that you and I can and talk and, and be recorded and be able to share what it is that we're discussing with a, a large audience or that we can have telephone calls or that we can uh, use videoing uh, technology to be able to see people across the globe. And so, in, in a weird way, there are blessings that come from the technology because today the world's information is completely free and it's completely available on the web. And in, in another way, right, some of those low value add tasks that humans have done historically are now being automated and freeing people to be able to do higher level, more meaningful work. And I also think that in a cool way, like Technology and automation is actually creating transparency in a way that helps each of us think about our world differently. So there are those folks that think that automation um, forces certain people to lose their jobs. And that might be an outcome of automation occurring. Don't get me wrong. I like to look at it through the other lens, which is to say, okay, that automation occurred. That person was probably doing a job that was well below his or her skill set. 
Let's realign them with a higher value add task or role that's more connected to his or her soul or what they like to do. Right. And adds more value to their organization or to their community. So I see that there are certain short-term losses that come to well-being, but over time, well-being is picking up and it'll continue to rise as time passes. So it's it's a double-edged sword in many ways. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Now, Michael, I know that you are a true continuous learner. So it doesn't have to be business related, but tell me about a podcast that you are into right now, something that maybe is uplifting or just a great distraction, something that you're turning to at times of, you know, feeling overwhelmed or stressed. Yeah. It, for me, the the thing that I do the most nowadays, and I live in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, where the weather is pretty good and uh, parks and golf courses and things like that are considered uh, essential. So they're open right now, thankfully. And so I'm able to to get out and go for a hike or go for a run. And, and so when I'm out there doing those things, I default to listening to the Tim Ferriss show. Um, I also follow work life with Adam Grant and there's another great one called the science of success with a, the host. His name is Matt Bodner. So I default to Tim's show because I really appreciate, uh, the, the thought that he puts into ahead of time, who he's interviewing and what he's going to ask him or her. And Tim's really great at being able to talk about his learning, uh, from that person over time or what, or what he's learning through the actual interview of the individual. And so I'm, I'm a detail guy naturally. So when I see Tim's prep or when I see the questions that he asks, or when I see how he connects disparate dots, that re- that really, you know, triggers me because as society is going through this transformation, things that we might not have thought have been connected historically will be connected in the future. And so I feel that Tim is kind of priming my brain to see the connection between things that might not have, I might not have seen before. I'm definitely going to have to listen because I, I think I could definitely use some interviewing inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> <You> yeah. <know? laughs> sure. So I love that. All right. Well, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, thank you, Olivia. I had a great time today. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. I appreciate you. 